If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. And in our weekly two cents segment, we'll take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. I'm Pete Wargent and I'm joined by Chris Bates from Blust. G'day, Chris, how's things? Pete, life's good. What's been happening? Excited for you to come back to the land of Oz next week. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing you next week as well. What's been happening? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be knocking around Sydney for the next week or two. Then I'll be in Melbourne. Of course, it's grand final day coming up. So hopefully Brisbane um, can make the finals. Uh, my kids are so excited. I don't think they realise that this stuff only comes around once every so often. I think, you know, being new fans to the game, they think they win every year. But uh, yeah, we'll see how we go. I think Collingwood are favourites. Um, but yeah, looking forward to uh, being around the traps over the next few weeks and then back up to Queensland in three or four weeks' time. Um, yeah, how about you? What's your week been like? It's funny. As a kid, I used to always hope Liverpool would win the league and they only <laughs> just won it two years ago. So I went through like almost 30 years of pain. So, um, yeah, they've got a lot of pain ahead of them if they think they're going to oh, win it every year. Um, don't even go there as a Spurs <laughs> fan. They've still not won the league and I'm 46. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think yeah. it's been good here. My dad just visited up from Melbourne. Um yeah, we're up for the Gold Coast for a week, a week before. It's interesting seeing all the developments, which I think I mentioned last week, and um, head down, bum up for the next uh, eight to ten weeks till Christmas, which is um, spring's already sprung in Sydney. It's hot as, I think it's 30 degrees next week. So um, I think Property Summit's on with the AFR today, so there's going to be lots of interesting stories coming out of that, which we'll, we'll have a chat about next week. So what's on the agenda this week, Pete? Boys, lots of right. stories. Very nice. Yes, there's some interesting stuff happening. I think we're reaching an interesting point for the housing market in Australia. We've obviously seen a rebound that's been much uh, faster and stronger than expected. But now I guess um, we're coming into the spring selling season where there should be a bit more stock to choose from. And uh, the impact of those interest rate increases starting to be felt as well. Uh, So the main three news stories this week, firstly, business insolvencies 
it's a 15-year high. So a lot of those zombie companies are being taken out by the increase in the cost of capital. So we'll take a look at what's ahead in terms of employment and what it all means for the housing market. Secondly, um, in the commercial property space, Morgan Stanley reports that Australia's office towers are set to take a major hit to valuations. Uh, there's been some changes in what happens in and around our CBDs over the past few years, of course. So we'll take a look at that. And then thirdly, uh, PropTrack reported rental vacancies continuing to fall as temporary visas in Australia surge to a record high. Rental vacancies are now the lowest on record. Um, so the rental crisis hasn't really gone away. It's kind of turning into a almost like a rolling issue, a rolling crisis. So, Chris, let's start with the business insolvencies uh, story. So um, this was a report. Uh, ABC did the piece, business failure rate worsens, calls for government action. More than 15% of Australian businesses passed in the past 12 months have failed the worst rate since the global financial crisis. New data from the ABS shows that half of the businesses started in 2019 were closed permanently by June this year. And over the four years to June 2023, 35% of all Australian businesses closed their doors for good. So Chris, I guess one of the things that's happened is that we don't have zero interest rates anymore. There was also a period there where really uh, failures weren't being allowed to happen. We almost had a moratorium on things like um, people going into mortgage arrears, which obviously impacts small business. Um, we had, uh, well, tenants couldn't be evicted very easily. We had interest rates were held right down at the zero lower bound. But all of those things are starting to change. And now we're starting to see, I guess, the snapback. And a lot of small businesses are going insolvent. And um, well, it's the worst we've seen in 15 years now. Yeah, I guess it sort of goes against what we're potentially seeing from an unemployment rate being so sharp, right? And the lowest has been in 50 years. I think it's the opposite, right? Um, so I think that it's a bit of a worry, right? As small businesses, um, what are they going to do once the business goes under, right? Do they, is there layoffs? Is there redundancies? Um, you know, do we start to see, you know, unemployment start to rise because um, businesses are going under? What does that mean for their other assets, their business debts, or their personal debts, et cetera? So, if it's a lot of new businesses, maybe a lot of, not a lot of staff members. And, but I mean, is this sort of, we even just a big mortgage player just pulled out, you know, recently? I think that with labor costs so high and uh, margins so tight, you know, I guess businesses are, they're just holding on right now and they're not actually making a lot of profits. Do they just pull the pin? And uh, that would be my take. I think it's definitely something to watch, right? Is, is the, the unemployment mate, right? We might be saying, actually, you know, everything's rosy. There's not many. Uh, big issues here. But if we start to see businesses start to go under, is that sort of the canary in the coal mine, Pete? That would be my take on this article. Yeah, so looking into the uh, stats, transport, postal and warehousing was the most vulnerable industry with uh, nearly two-thirds of businesses opened in 2019, no longer in existence by June 2023. I think the other thing is that clearly retail is going to struggle. We saw a big boom in spending, especially things like cafes, restaurants, takeaways through the pandemic as we handed out all of that stimulus cash. Um, but now the cost of living has increased. Uh, the uh, cost of capital or interest rates have increased. And that's um, seeing a lot of consumers starting to tighten their belts. And um, yeah, I guess uh, things like the hospitality industry is really going to feel uh, the impact of that. And I suppose from a uh, property market perspective, there is um, uh, some various uh, data that uh, tracks all of this. SQM looks at things like distressed sales, which for the time being anyway, they're still uh, pretty low, to be honest. And as you said, the unemployment rate 
um, the time of speaking. Anyway, still relatively low. I think the forward-looking indicators, I saw Justin uh, Fabo from Macquarie Bank, he looks at some of the indicators, things like the number of people applying for each job, um, the ratio of job vacancies to people who are searching for employment. Um, well, yes, yeah, so those forward-looking indicators suggest actually the labour market is not as tight as it was and we're heading in a sort of a softening direction. I mean, at the moment, it, as you said, uh, the unemployment rate is still low, but a lot of people coming into the country now, a lot of people are tightening their wallets. And yeah, I think um, some small businesses, which probably had a relatively easy time, uh, strangely, uh, for a, a couple of uh, years there, in terms of um, availability of uh, capital and zero interest rates, well, a lot of that's really starting to bite now. And um, yeah, I guess, uh, uh, yeah, so I suppose we're seeing small business failures. And I suppose the other thing is in construction, Chris, we've seen a lot of developers going under over the past year or so. Yeah, we've had a client, um, you know, he's actually had two builders go up on, on him, actually. The first one went bankrupt and the other one went bankrupt on him as well. And, um, yeah, it was a sketchy story in the end. They almost paid the builder. He was being harassing for money, um, even though he knew he was going to be insolvent because he wanted some money in his own bank account. It was a it was a dodgy situation. So, absolutely, we've seen that firsthand. I think the zombie company is actually going to play out. I, I think ultimately um, the big worry here, I think, with, unemployment is that if, if you people are worried about their jobs or they're not as certain or they know they can't just switch around they're more likely to stick to their current jobs or take less risk with their lifestyle decisions and so we're seeing a lot of our our clients who um typically uh would you know just go for it whether it's a lifestyle shift outside of sydney to central coast or byron byron for example um a lot of them are wanting to just say the safe option and just because they're worried about if they do have to switch jobs, you know, how they're going to, are they going to get hybrid work or, you know, and, and potentially not even switching jobs because they're worried that potentially they could lose their jobs. So they're not going that worker mobility and the wage increases. Um, we're not seeing distressed um, selling when those last couple of rate increases happened in May and June, that was a really stressful time. We, we were seeing almost daily emails from clients really worried that how high were rates going to go because they were surprised after a few months of um, rates pausing and then two increases. However, with the last three months not going up, we're not really hearing many, getting emails from many clients that are really concerned about their mortgage. And more and more of our clients are rolling off their fixed rates. And um, there's not a real fear around that rates are going to keep on going up, I guess. Um, and people are just trying to hang on, I guess, knowing that potentially rates could go down in the future and, um, yeah, so I think that, and that's playing out in the market. When we you said Pete at the start that it's an interesting time coming into spring, we absolutely have seen a, a shift in our buyers who are pre-approved or who are starting to look start beginning their search. They're willing to make offers now, and they're wanting to to get things sorted because they're worried about things running on. So it's almost the start of FOMO, where um, you know people are trying to get things pre-auction, and they're they're worried that if they miss out that they might not be able to buy in a few months' time. And, you know, we had double figures of purchases last week and, and actually some really bigger ones as well, which that $2 million sort of plus market really froze up for the last 12 to 18 months. That was the tightest market. Um, the least transactions were at the top end. Um, and so, yeah, we, we think those wheels are already spinning and, and people are wanting to get ahead of the wave rather than wait for rates cuts to potentially come. Chris, before we crack on to story two, uh, what do you advise or what do you say to clients who are thinking of building their own home? I, I guess in the context of 
those business failures. I had a client this week who looking for somewhere to buy in Melbourne. There's not really much stock on the market. So they're thinking of either buying a knockdown or buying a block of land and, and building themselves. But how do you mitigate that risk of um, developers going under or being quoted one price and then massive cost overruns changing the whole dynamic? Uh, is there anything that um, people should do in terms of due diligence or is it is it just a risk that you have to take on if you're building? It's an interesting one. I think um, even the best builders have gone under in recent years. I can think of a client who was using a very reputable builder um, you know, doing very high-end apartments and that builder went out under just even a month before it was almost finished, right? Um, and so I think even in builders, sometimes they have individual projects that are run on individual companies and so they could be great in 95% of their projects. So this could just be a basket case, this one. They could have real issues. And so I, I think it's really hard to protect yourself with the, the builder. I mean, I guess it's the contract's really important to make sure it's a fixed-price contract and you've really talked it through and you understand you know, the obligations and the sunset clause and all those sort of things. So, but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people would say, yeah, just pick a great builder, but that hasn't protected a lot of people in the last couple of years. So it's, but I mean, I, that that would, it, it's hard, right, Pete? It's, it's really hard to say there's, a, there's an easy way just to guarantee you're going to get this amazing outcome. Obviously picking a reputable builder over someone who's essentially not been doing it that long and hasn't got a great track record and a, a big base of, you know, staff, et cetera, I yeah, what do you think, Pete? How do you think the best way to play this? Yeah, I think actually the ABS stats themselves show one thing, and that is we know that the, the relatively new businesses are always at much higher risk of failure. So uh, I guess uh, longevity is one of the things you can look for. No guarantees, of course, but a business that's been around for 20 years and through a few cycles yep. generally will have a lower risk than one that's been around for three or four years or, or less. Um, I guess that's... Um, just uh, it's like what they call the Lindy effects. You know, the longer something's been around, uh, the longer it's likely to be around. Well, that's certainly uh, one of the things you can do is, is to look for uh, builders and developers who've been through a few cycles and mm. have some experience of managing cash flow and projects um, rather than the relatively uh, sort of uh, newcomers, I suppose, where the risk might be higher. But um, I guess it's just a time where risk is elevated anyway because there's been a big increase in the cost of materials and trades and um yeah there's uh, some real challenges out there in the industry as the abs is reporting so uh chris uh, i mean story i guess another two. thing on that we saw a client um and he wouldn't mind me saying this he probably uh drove too hard of a bargain um and he uh he's uh, run very successful businesses he's done very well for himself but he in his build he applied his business logic into his negotiation with getting a builder um and i think he got that contract at a price well under market and so i think he shot himself in the foot he he basically priced the builder out of a profit and very quickly that builder realized that this isn't going to be a profitable job so he underquoted it uh, and he over negotiated and then it left at a point where the builder basically walked off the job um so i think and you know he ended up having to find another builder and end up costing similar to what the original quotes were for the builders he had you know the two or three other quotes he had at the start and so i think you've also got to realize that um having those real frank conversations with the builder up front and not try to just go for the cheapest price um, and cross your fingers and she'll be right because when things don't go well and and that was a real nightmare situation because the bank's stuck in a rock in a hard place if you know you've got to get another builder in they've got a whole new loan contracts it's you know they're going to want to pick a job up halfway they're going to want a premium for that for the risk and 
you know, for the work that they've done, is it done right? You know, is the slab being laid right, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you definitely don't want to be swapping builders. And so sometimes it's better off to go with a reputable country. Maybe it costs a bit more. Maybe there's um, a bit of an extra margin you have to pay, but that gives you certainty that you're going to get through this. We are, we are talking clients out of doing builds at the moment. You said, how do we approach this as well? There was a, there was a client this week that was very gung-ho on doing a build in, in regional um, New South Wales, and we just did the numbers, you know, what they're going to pay for the land, the, the cost to get this land, all services hooked up, and then do the build and the risk and the time. And there was just very little money to be made in it versus just buying something established. And um, I just really asked them, is it worth it? You know, is it worth that stress and the risk to potentially have zero financial reward at the end of it. Yeah, you might have a home, but, you know, would you be just as happy in something established? And, um, yeah, they're actually going down the more established route, to be honest, now versus actually so we've kind of stopped them taking on that risk. has been an interesting thing over the past year or two uh, where looking at um, units and apartments in places like inner city, Brisbane or Perth, and you couldn't build you couldn't build them at today's prices. You're effectively buying established stock well under the replacement cost, which I guess is one of the ways that people can de-risk an investment um, in an asset. Anyway, um, interesting times there. And yeah, definitely still some challenges ahead in the construction sector. Um, so Chris, second news story of the week, Office Tower to take a major hit, a Morgan Stanley report. So the ABS reported this week that the value of Australia's dwelling stock rose $325 billion in the June quarter to be back above $10 trillion. So effectively, the housing market has recovered all of the uh, declines through the pandemic, driven mainly by increases in the mean dwelling price in New South Wales, up 32000 and Queensland up 26000 in the June quarter. However, Morgan Stanley reports that office tower valuations could fall by another 10 to 15%. So, uh, from their report, some major office towers could take another 10 to 15% hit to their valuations, making them the weakest links in a commercial property sector that's under pressure from higher interest rates. Office probably has another 10 to 15% to go, particularly for some of the more challenged assets with poor tenancy profiles and in non-prime locations. That's from the co-head of investment banking in Australia. They've backed this up with a few charts. Australia's vacancy rate uh, for officers, um, it ran as high as um, 20% in the early 1990s recession. We've never seen anything like that um, since, really. Um, even in 2009, we're only around 10%. But now, um, I guess a very different profile, Chris. Uh, vacancy rates are pushing uh, 15% for office space, about 14.1% over the six months to July 2023. And in particular, uh, some of the CBDs, uh, not so much Sydney, but um, some of the other CBDs, um, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, are seeing very high vacancy rates. And that's clearly been driven by uh, the working from home phenomenon, which has persisted, I guess, at least for you know three days a week for a lot of workers now. Yeah, I mean, I think we, uh, everyone, we're probably pretty up to date with what's causing this is, you know, absolutely the appetite for office space is reducing. I think maybe for AAA grade towers that are, you know, uh, the eco-friendly towers that are freshly built with more open space, you know, they're very much in higher demand, but the towers that are a bit more run down that are a bit much like a, um, a call centre, right, where you've just got desks and desks and desks and a small kitchen, like, it's not exciting to get people back to the office. I think there's a, you know, people are uh, struggling to get people back into the offices in those. Well, well, I can just do this from home. And I think there is this 
wash out. And whether these get moved into residentials, it's really hard. Not every building is going to be uh, whether they – but I, I would say that the commercial sector, like if there is some repricing, they've gone through other cycles before. The GFC is a, is a prime example where, you know, REITs got absolutely smashed. And um, maybe, you know, parts of the REIT portfolio are doing well, but maybe office towers aren't doing so well. And maybe, yeah, super funds have to write down their assets and maybe some big end of town um, – or some, you know, syndicates that, you know, accountants have set up for mum and dad investors in their superannuation funds. Maybe they're going to get hit. But I think a lot of the property market is is owned by sort of mum and dads and, you know, couples and singles. And, um, you know, that I don't think they own a lot of commercial property exposure. And, yes, they maybe their super fund does a little bit, but they're, they're very diversified in that. They haven't got all their eggs in commercial property and office towers. And so... While that is getting hit, it's maybe not hitting everyday Australians. It's maybe just hitting the high, the, the upper end of the market. And I would still argue they've got the land value of these these assets. And so, yeah, maybe they've they haven't got a tenant. Maybe their their whole value is falling. But I still think if they're a good tower, well located, they're still holding the land. They know that's what's gone up a lot in value over time. And um, but now they're forced to potentially do something with that land. You know, if you've got a tenant in there paying the rent. Well, we can just hold on the land. I'm not forced to make any decisions. But if it just gets untenanted, I can't lease it out. What do I do? Do I fix it up? Do I retrofit it? Do I, you know, convert it to apartments? Do we knock it down? Do we sell it to another developer that combined sites? And so I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just potentially going to allow us to use our land more efficiently and, um, you know, potentially create more opportunity in the future for a better city. Yes, definitely. Yes. Changing the cash flow profiles for some of those big office tower assets. I think um, I've seen some stats from the US about the uh, just how few office towers are being converted into residential. I, I think it's it's often harder to do than it might appear. I, we have seen some of this around Hyde Park in Sydney in previous cycles, where a former office tower can become um, a, a sort of block of units, but it's practically a rebuild to, to get it to. To modern yeah. standards so it's pretty difficult to do i think um the the exposures here well for big super funds there there is some exposure to office assets uh, real estate investment trusts and of course australia's banks as well but the exposure there is not really like it was certainly not like in the early 90s recession where the vacancy rate for offices went to above 20 percent and all hell broke loose um the exposure isn't so high for banks this time around interestingly canberra and brisbane we're the only capital cities to record vacancy rate decreases. I think Brisbane, I can understand, there's a lot of um, interstate migration happening to southeast Queensland, and that's just pushing down vacancy rates there, even for officers. Uh, the interesting one there, Canberra, a bit of a change there, maybe uh, some of the uh, public uh, sector getting back into the office a little bit more, potentially. Um, but uh, it's always it's a very different market, Canberra, partly for that reason, uh, not so much in the private sector there. And vacancy rates are generally lower anyway. Um, I guess uh, your tax dollars hard at work being spent on office leases. Um, so, yeah, interesting one to watch there, um, but probably uh, some more fallout to come in terms of commercial property valuations. Um, but as you mentioned, it's not across the board. I think some different types of property like industrial, storage, warehousing, uh, medical centres, data centres. There's definitely parts of the market that are doing a lot better, but uh, office space is probably... Uh, the most exposed by far as uh, people are changing the way in which they work and live. Um, yeah, so... and I guess it's just the developers, I guess, really looking at their 
the DA approvals and the feasibilities and, and saying, should we build this as residential? And there is a demand for, you know, that luxury end of the market. You know, Tim Gurner, I think there's a lot in Melbourne. He's coming to Sydney and doing a resi tower. And, um, you know, I think there's potentially, you know, the desire to live in the city wasn't really there a long time, you know, five, ten years ago in Sydney. But it is now, right? There's lots of um, new residential getting built within the commercial. So I think that's what we potentially could see is a, a bit more of a diverse um, pool of assets within our capital cities versus before in Sydney it was very commercial um, and not much resi. Definitely was. Uh, so third and final news story of the week, record low rental vacancies reported by PropTrack, which is an arm of the REA group. So this week we saw um, record high population growth in the National Accounts, although that was actually last week about uh, well over 620,000 over the year was the implied population growth. Uh, we saw the ABS reports international arrivals hit 1.7 million for the month. Um, that's the highest since January 2020. Also, some government figures, temporary visas hit 2.55 million, including a record number of international students. That's a rebound of over 900,000 from the pandemic low. So all of those temporary visa holders who we lost have effectively come back. Now, um, in terms of what this means for the rental market, PropTrack reported the number of properties available for rent, and this is in the residential space, in Australia has recorded its largest drop in over a year in August, falling to a new record low of 1.1%. Rental vacancies are now 54% lower compared to the start of the pandemic. Um, in Sydney, vacancy rates fell to 1.26%. Melbourne fell to 1.19%. Brisbane, 0.84%, while Adelaide and Perth remain the tightest rental markets in the country with vacancy rates below 0.7% in both cities. So. I guess, um, Chris, this is what I've been seeing. Um, some of those uh, panicked applications for somewhere to rent have dropped away. So the increase in rents has is, is steadied off a bit. I think people are getting more used to this idea of a more competitive rental market and some of the frenzy is now finished. But it seems to have now turned into almost like a rolling crisis or an ongoing issue that isn't going to be resolved quickly or easily over the next couple of years. So is that something that you've seen as well? Yeah, I think for our inflation, rents increases are really dropped off right now. Annual rate of increase is really dropping. So I think that's good for our inflation. But I think our vacancy rates and the demand for rental housing just is increasing, right? There's not these uh, all these first-home buyers that are leaving and, and, and buying property. There just isn't enough properties to buy. There's not enough leaving the rental pool. Um, and I think that these, there's also a tightening of rental stock. We, I can think of multiple clients of ours that, um, have sold investment properties in the last six months. Um, and, you know, because the reality is when they are under a bit of pressure or they need to free up some capital whether they want to do a renovation or when they're looking to upgrade their home, that's been a lot of them where, you know, the only way to feasibly do it is to actually sell their current property or their investment property to allow them to make their next property move. And so when borrowing capacity is really tight and, you know, we're talking four, four and a half times income, that means that there's less investors um, entering the market because they haven't got the capacity to do so. Um, and more investors are going to start leaving the market because they can't afford to refinance, they can't afford to upgrade their homes, um, and they're forced to, or they can't afford to service the, the property. Um, and uh, so, you know, that they're more likely to sell their investment properties than their home. And so I can see as long as a borrowing capacity stays really tight, I think there's going to be a real pressure on people who have got investment properties to consider well. And, and I think the market's also allowing them to potentially sell because 
if the market was in free fall, a lot of investors would say, well, I can't sell now because I'm going to bake in a 15, 20% price fall. Well, if I can just get out now for a reasonably a good price, that takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah, I'm t- maybe potentially not getting the future gains, but I'm not taking on this big loss. Um, and so we're actually seeing that you know desire as well um, because prices are holding. So yeah, I can't see this getting better. You know, if if you know, obviously this is different cities have got different vacancy. I think Hobart's getting much easier to, than it has been in recent years. But um, if you haven't got new investors coming that are greater than the investors leaving, then supply is actually getting tighter. And you know, I would say there's more investors leaving the market than are actually entering. Yeah, the dynamics are just all pulling in the wrong direction at the moment. We've got high immigration. We've got fewer investors because we've got that record lending assessment buffer in place. So even people who want to get into the property market and invest for the higher rents are really not able to do so with tight lending settings. But that is also impacting first home buyers unable to borrow um, as easily as previously was the case. And they're becoming stuck in the rental pool as well. Um, so combination of all those factors is just um, putting more and more pressure still on the uh, the rental market. Now, Chris, I guess for one thing, it's um, it's all very interesting for you know, if the landlord isn't getting the same returns or whatever, but there's a, there's a more serious aspect to this. I saw SQM Research put in their uh, release on rental vacancies, which fell uh, pretty much across the board in August. Uh, Louis Christopher of SQM, I expect the low, in, low rental vacancy rate to be maintained um, housing formation will continue to contract in response to the shortages. I'm also expecting a very large increase in homelessness. Um, we also saw um, in um, realestate.com.au article, situation for renters in Melbourne is dire rock bottom vacancy rates. Um, we saw the council to homeless persons, the CHP said at least 60,000 new public and community housing dwellings need to be built across uh, needs to be built across Victoria over the next decade. Um, we've got a chronic shortage of affordable rental homes and people on low and increasingly middle incomes are facing the brunt of it. So I think, um, yeah, Chris, for the uh, sort of young professionals and young families, there's definitely a lot of challenges around. But um, as SQM and the CHP have also said, um, there's some major issues here at the bottom end of the market and um, some increases in homelessness expected as well. Yeah, on um, our other podcast, The Elephant, um, we've been doing lots of topics around this whole problem for like four or five years and, and speaking to lots of people from tenants uh, union to different um, housing affordability and homelessness, et cetera. And absolutely, it's at the bottom of the end of the housing market. There's a huge problem, and I, let alone people who are working, whether they can afford something to rent or find something. And, um, and then can, you know, a high-income family even decide to, you know, get a home, you know, can they? So there's issues all up the sky, but obviously you're right at the, the bottom end, it's it's pretty dire, right? And, you know, the, the state, the government's coming out and saying we'll build, you know, 40,000, you know, new homes over the next five years and, you know, the $10 billion fund, like all this stuff takes time. And, you know, end of the day, there's people sleeping on the streets to die. So I think there's it's a real problem. I think as what we're going to see out of it, I mean, there is going to have to be some um, action from the government, I think. This is where the, the YIMBYs have got all the forces they need to, um, basically create a big voice and, and to potentially get some zoning changes, some once-in-the-lifetime changes um, that they've been waiting for. I think this is this battle between the state government um, and, you know, zoning changes. And, um, yeah, I think that's that's the thing I'm watching, I think. I think it's going to be a shift. If we are going to keep growing our population, which I think that's what, you know, 
the um, the governments want to do, right? And we are got all this housing issue. We're going to have to create a lot more supply, and whether that's through zoning, whether that's through making it easier for developers and cutting taxes, like they're doing with build to rent. And I, I think there's a lot of things that are going to have to change to uh, potentially make you know more things to be built, right? And so. Um, but I think that's going to be the big story in 2024 because we're still going to have a rental crisis, I believe, and we're still going to have a house and the housing affordability crisis is actually going to get worse because I would say prices are going to go up and we're already, um, even if rates go down, our housing affordability is going to still be off the charts. And so, yeah, that, that to me is something to watch in 2024. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So um, interesting uh, three news stories of the week there. So firstly, uh, business insolvencies at a 15-year high, starting to see uh, some smaller businesses and developers and people in the construction sector falling over. Office towers are set to take a major hit, said Morgan Stanley. Office valuations to fall another 10 to 15%. And re rental vacancies now at record lows, with capital cities getting especially tight, according to PropTrack. Um, so pretty interesting stuff going on. Um, before we go, uh, we've got a property masterclass coming up on the 22nd of September in Sydney at the Sir Stamford Hotel. Uh, that's 93 Macquarie in Circular Quay. So uh, Chris and I, from 2 p.m. to 5.30 p.m., we're just holding a little seminar there. If you're in Sydney, we'll be doing a property market update. Uh, we're doing a bit on portfolio strategy, a bit of a Q&A, and there's some food included as well. So if you're interested in coming along, um, shoot me an email, petewarden at gmail.com is probably the easiest one to articulate over a podcast. Um, so Chris, really looking forward to that. Always good to... Uh, do some Q&A and get in front of a few people in the real world, so to speak. Absolutely, Pete. Looking forward to that next Friday. If anyone wants to come along, we'd love to meet you. And, um, yeah, I wish everyone a happy Sunday. Is there anything else we needed to cover today, Pete? Don't think so. You can catch me on Twitter, Pete Wargent, or my blog spot is my daily blog, Pete Wargent blog spot. And, um, Chris, people can get you at Blusk, I think, as we say every week in the show notes. Um, so, by the way, if you've got any property questions you want us to cover in the Two Cents podcast or in the Australian Property podcast more generally, do uh, drop us a line because we like to try and keep things on the button of what's happening in the real world. So um, looking forward to catching up uh, next week, Chris, and uh, thanks everyone for joining. Thank you. Happy Sunday and um, safe travels this week, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, 
or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.